I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town Podcast. In this episode of the Food About Town Podcast, Ryan Pearson and Ben Tolhurst from Headwater Food Hub came over to the studio along one of my fellow co-founders from Frankly, Brandon Vulai. Uh, we talked all about Headwater Food Hub, the Good Food Collective. Uh, talked about their custom share option, which Brandon and I have been doing all the way up through when we recorded this episode, and I think we're both continuing with it now as well. So we talked about that. We talked about where the uh, where Headwater Food Hub and the Good Food Collective are now, where they're going, and of course we talked a bunch of local food along the way. So um, this was a fun episode to record. We talk about local food all the time on the show, but it was nice to catch up with them. It's been a little while since we talked to Headwater. And I'd like to thank everybody for being patient with me. Uh, life has gotten a little bit crazy recently and been a little bit stressed out, but I'm back now. I've got a nice little backlog of episodes, and my plan is to put out a bunch of episodes in a row coming through April, May, and June, and uh, keep on putting out good stuff for everybody. So uh, I hope everybody's still stuck around and that people are still listening. So again, thanks for your patience. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've got a lot of good recordings in the queue. Let's just take a quick look at my list. So I've got I've got some that are going to be a, a little bit dated that I didn't put out right on time. But I've got uh, Marty's Meats coming up. Uh, I've got interviews with uh, people from Fiamma, Ugly Duck, Rock Brewing, uh, Joel Zolniorowski from Nosh, Art Rogers from Lento. Uh, just a lot of interesting interviews coming up. And I hope you stick around for those. So again, thanks for the patience. And stay tuned for this episode of the Food About Town podcast. Uh, if you enjoy it, please share it out. I'm Food About Town on Facebook and Twitter now, as well as Stromy on Instagram. Thanks for listening and enjoy. with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. My name's Chris Lindstrom. I'm your host, and I'm here with a whole bunch of people today. And we're going to talk about the Good Food Collective and Headwater Food Hub. So let's go around the table and introduce ourselves, sir. Sure. Uh, my name is Ryan Pearson. Thanks for having us on, Chris. Of course. Um, I'm the director of the Good Food Collective, uh, which is a part of Headwater Food Hub. Uh, and we are trying to connect people in Rochester directly with a really great network network of local farms. Beautiful. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the material manager at Headwater. So I work uh, with our inventory staging, uh, preparing and storing for both our wholesale operation and our direct-to-consumer operation, the Good Food Collective. Beautiful. And I'm Brandon Vulai. I am one of the co-founders and CEO of Frankly, and we build tools for transparency in the food industry. I've heard of that product, Brandon. Yeah, and Chris is also one of our co-founders. That's very nice of you to bring that up. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're 
it's a uh, Headwater Food Hub has uh, been one of our partners uh, working on Frankly and trying to add transparency to our food and food and drink distribution network all around Rochester. But one thing we've been experimenting with recently is one of the products from the Good Food Collective that has been very interesting is their uh, custom share, uh, custom share opportunity. So, um, Ryan, why don't you talk for a second about what generally the Good Food Collective does, Mm -hmm. and then let's talk about some of the new options, and we'll talk about some of our experiences along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So the Good Food Collective has been around for about 10 years, um, and the ways in which we have tried to connect people in Rochester to the great uh, local farms in this area have changed season to season, but the goal has always been to been the same, which is make good local food easy um, and convenient for people to get. So uh, right now we run a year-round uh, membership program uh, where you can sign up for either an ongoing subscription or just order something one time. Um, and we've got a number of drop-off spots and pickup spots around Rochester. And we're partnered with over 100 small and mid-sized farmers across upstate New York. Um, so we can source amazing, delicious food year-round, whether that's seasonal vegetables, pasture-raised meats, um, yogurt, cheese, local, locally roasted coffee, um, or any number of other great things that are produced in this beautiful region. And then we pack it, pack it up, um, deliver it to different workplaces, breweries, community centers, and schools, and folks in Rochester can pick up a weekly um, allotment of food, which we usually call a share. So the shares are, you know, they rotate, and it's kind of, it's the choice of, you know, good food, what goes in the share every week. That's the typical one. Exactly. Um, And it comes, like you said, you have different options. You can throw in meat, you can do in whatever else on top of what comes in the typical share, which is really vegetable and fruit focused. Yeah, so our, our most popular thing is the standard share, which is a box of veggies for a family of three to four. And we have a small version of that as well as a fruit-only version. Um, but as you said, there's a lot of other options you um, can can add on, and you can either get them as a subscription or just buy them one time. I'm super excited about the mushroom share. The beef share is always a nice opportunity oh i mean the mushrooms too because we've got we've got a lot of interesting mushroom producers right around here um now with uh what's it uh, leap foods right and with the uh, oyster mushrooms yep we've been working with leap foods for two years now um they're growing oyster mushrooms for us as well as lion's mane they've done some pretty beautiful um shiitakes and king trumpets so that's one of the you know foods that's I think a lot of people see as a more, you know, chef territory that we really want to introduce to people in their kitchens. Well, it's one of the cool ideas. I mean, when you're talking about shares generally, whether it's a, you know, whether it's a share through good food or a CSA where you're working directly with a farm, what it does offer you is, you know, some diversity of items and you might not choose to buy beets sometimes. You might not choose to get mushrooms sometimes, but when they show up in your basket, it's kind of nice from a cook's perspective yeah it's forced me to use some ingredients i've never even thought of using you mentioned the lion's mane mushrooms Mm -hmm. not only do i never see those not only do i never see those in stores i if i did i might have not bought them and having got them in my share i've found that i really love them they're excellent yeah i mean they're the the texture is really good the flavor is really good and it's something one mushrooms are really easy to cook i i take every opportunity i can to tell people that you know, mushrooms are an ingredient. They shouldn't be scary. And the fact that 
we people only ever explore one variety of mushrooms, which is you know your your button mushroom, which, as some people know, is the same as the baby bella mushroom and is the same as a portobello mushroom. Mm-hmm. They're all the same mushroom. Um, so that's the only one people ever really explore. And then even just jumping into shiitakes, you've got a whole bunch of different options you can use it. You know the stock base and all the other options. Um, when you go into the lion's mane, you go into the oysters. It's just the, the diversity of flavor is just fantastic. Absolutely, I think the lion's mane has that. that they like to say it's the lobster mushroom. Um, I don't know if it's if it's quite as uh, as a uh, uh, fishy as maybe a lobster, but it's co- it's got a r- definitely a rich flavor that's different than your traditional dark mushroom. And also, just to go into the nutrition nu- uh, nutrients, it's super healthy and uh, got a bunch of brain benefits as well we made crab cakes with the lion's mane mushrooms and you mm-hmm. couldn't tell that that wasn't an actual crab cake yeah and it's you know, it's a textural thing and the fact that we have people growing these year round um is is sort of a marvel of technology that you know back in the day you wouldn't get mushrooms through the winter it's only really produced during the you know warmer months right and that's definitely one thing we're focused on is is letting people know that local food is available year round um, whether it's uh, veggies um, like the beets and the different colors of potatoes and radishes and onions that store really well through the winter, or it's fresh greens grown in a greenhouse, um, baby radishes grown in a greenhouse, um, or it's a mushroom or cheese or grass-fed beef. You know, there are so many amazing options that really aren't affected by the seasonality. And I think we just sort of have this image in our head of, you know, local food is summertime farmers markets. Right, which is one, a great way of supporting farmers directly going and buying from their stands. And it's also a great experience going to farmers markets, uh, whether it's, you know, the public market or the Bright Market or whatever market is in your town. It's a great way of supporting farmers directly. But it's not it's not a zero sum game. Right. The fact that you go to a market or that you buy a share, it doesn't exclude you from doing the other things. It needs to be a comprehensive approach to supporting our local food chain. It's not one thing doesn't solve that. One thing doesn't support everything. You need to go and support in multiple directions. Right. At least that's that's my opinion. I mean, it's absolutely. And if you're if you're doing you know one during the summer, don't just suddenly switch to. I guess I'll just get my veggies from Mexico or Peru yeah. in the winter. You know. Yeah, and it's not to say that you know some things you're just not going to get locally. Absolutely. We have very few locally grown avocados. And uh, very few locally grown citrus and tropical fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's <laughs> one of those things. If you're gonna if you're gonna eat those things, well, you have to you do have to buy them from different places. Actually, one of the interesting things about the custom shares is we've actually gotten a fair amount of citrus mm-hmm. in our custom shares, which we'll we'll talk about more of the custom shares in a second. But you guys actually have a citrus producer that you work with which is kind of cool yeah so we definitely have a focus on on not just local farms but the the small and mid-sized family farms um the citrus farmer actually does happen to be a new york state farmer they've got a uh an organic vegetable farm um in is it batavia i believe somewhere uh a little not not quite as far west as buffalo but out that way Mm -hmm. um and so they spend the summer and fall growing zucchini and potatoes and a, a good number of other things. This is Thorpe's Organic Farm. Um, and then go down to um, Central Florida for the winter. So that's always been a, a fun partner of ours to have a great way to really brighten up the middle of winter with some certified organic citrus 
um, really amazing flavors. Well, and yeah. I think it's also you get you start to see how citrus fruit should look. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not quite as polished and as you, know, you go to any you know major grocery store, you see these polished citrus fruits, and they just they look like pictures. And then you get the the ones from the organic farm, and it's a whole different product from an external right. perspective. We got clementine oranges a week or two ago, right? And mm-hmm. they're not picture perfect, but they might have been the best tasting oranges I've ever had. Right. The crazy thing is, it's I think it's around seventy five percent of all the pesticides that we use are just for the appearance. So this is a fruit that we're gonna peel the skin anyways, and yet we put all this energy and effort and and um, things that are bad for the plants and the soil into just getting that orange to be just right so it looks like a highlighter when you pick it off the shelf. Right. Um, and the flavor, you know, is really kind of a second thought. So that's been a fun kind of education um, with our members and, and a great conversation point to talk about what, is it, what does it mean to, um, you know, sort for the best food. I have to point out, too, the insides of this fruit, of these fruits are absolutely Unpo- un- they're perfect. Yeah, they're, they're, you couldn't tell them aside from from anything that had been treated with a million pesticides, and uh, the juxtaposition with that darkened skin sometimes that makes that glow inside almost all the more glorious. I think. Yeah, um, no, it, and it it does look beautiful. I mean, when you cut into one of those grapefruits, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the picture that you'd expect when you watch you know the commercials about grapefruits. I mean, that's it's just it's bright, it's vibrant, and the flavor too. I mean, when you look at what people use for for juice oranges, they all look like that. They don't look like the pretty oranges you buy in the grocery store. Mm. Those are just for prettiness. They're not for flavor. I like to think the scars on the outside of some of those grapefruit are just reminding me in the morning that I'm doing something right today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not a bad feeling to be eating a grapefruit from the right place, though. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I I did hear from from our farmer that the... I sent her a picture of a particularly dark orange. It was completely black on the outside, and I was just curious, you know, what what exactly causes this, and, and what are your thoughts on, um, you know, obviously it looks great on the inside, and she said mostly those are rust mites um, okay. making that, that surface uh, appearance, and they actually have, some people have suggested that they're linked to more flavor, so the the darker and the, the more wrong they look. Uh, the better the inside might be. Well, it's kind of interesting because you you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that necessarily, but I guess it's the same thing. I'm I'm not gonna because I don't know the science behind it. It's like when you talk about dry aged beef. I mean, dry aged beef looks awful from the outside. Mm-hmm. It looks dark. It looks moldy. It looks terrible. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> on the inside, it's the best tasting beef you'll ever eat. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing when you you know people don't finish beef in packages. You know, that vibrant red you get at a grocery store isn't natural. That's not the color of what meat looks like. Right. I mean, out of like two minutes outside of an animal. That's not what it looks like ever. But that's what everybody's used to is that is the brightness, is that vibrancy and not necessarily the natural color of what things actually look like. I've been in McCann's where I've heard customers come back and complain about the look of their meat. And just hearing Kevin explain to them that this isn't what what you think beef is supposed to look like isn't really what it looks like. Your beef is fine. It's delicious. Go eat it. Yeah. Well, and it's, and he sources, you know, from one of the better beef farms. So one of his main suppliers is autumn harvest, autumn's harvest farm. I always have trouble pronouncing that place. Um, but that's somewhere you guys work with as well as autumn's harvest. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We actually are happily a, a big part of getting McCann, those, uh, animals from autumn harvest. Yeah. Cause that's a, that's a, that's part of the part of the whole headwater business as well is 
uh, facilitating food to restaurants. Um, that's that's part of the headwater side of the business. Uh, we've talked about that a little while back on the podcast. I've talked about it on a couple other shows I've been on. But uh, that's one thing that headwater is a big part of is the you know, aggregating the food from different producers, bringing it out to the vendors. And that's that's kind of a great service that allows you know local restaurants to more easily source locally. Absolutely. And yeah, Kevin has been a, a fantastic partner um, with the consistency of the beef and pork and, and chicken that he's getting from Autumn's Harvest, which are all raised on pasture, animal welfare approved. Um, and restaurants like Good Luck and Lento, there's so many um, great partners of ours that have really put local as, as a major component of their menu. And we're really excited to help make that easy. And I think that's really our main value proposition is rather than 20 different farmers trying to coordinate with 20 different chefs and dropping off in pickup trucks at all different times and inconsistencies. You know, let's have a, a, a single in professional invoice, a single professional delivery driver, farmers paid on time, and chefs with the quality they want and deserve, um, and really help connect those dots. And this, yeah. is, this is one of those things you can see on, frankly, is that Autumn's Harvest, which is providing to McCann's, um, also provides to tons of our local restaurants. That same beef you're buying at McCann's is the same beef that's being used all throughout Rochester. Yeah, and it's it's one of the. I mean, this is I mean, it's kind of a love fest here today because we're <laughs> we're we're all talking the same language. Um, but that's one thing. Like when when we're talking, when Brandon and I talk about, frankly, um, it's our opportunity to open that up to everybody else. So, like, I may already know that because you know I've talked to Kevin before, I've talked to Ryan before, I know where this stuff is generally coming from. But opening up that information to everybody and you know, working with Headwater to allow us to open that information up to everybody is um, not only good for us, but it's great for everybody around here. If you want to know where you can buy this beef that you can trust, you know, it's it's raised properly. It's actually grass-fed. Like, that's a huge difference. Grass-fed beef makes all the difference in the world versus grain-fed beef. It's a whole, I mean, it's a whole different animal. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> and that's a whole podcast on its own. Right? Oh, it is. <laughs> it is because it's, I mean, the flavor, the texture, everything's different. It actually tastes like beef. It's not sweet. It's not, doesn't have tons of extra fat in it. It's a, it's an animal that actually had a chance to walk around and do things. Mm -hmm. And that, that does make a big difference. Um, so if you do choose to eat meat, buying from reputable farms like Autumn's Harvest and supporting restaurants that buy from places like that is only good for everybody. Um, yeah, this is going to be a bit of a proselytizing podcast, so <laughs> if you don't want to listen to us talk about the local food chain, this is probably not going to be your um, <laughs> probably not going to be your number one episode, but if you're listening to this, you probably have already heard this from me a couple times before. <laughs> um, so let, let's pivot back to the shares. So we talked about drop-off and pickup locations. So if you sign up for Good Food Collective, you've got different share options, size options, mm -hmm. and you can pick it up at a whole, whole bunch of different places. Um, Brandon and I, um, we'll get into the custom share in a second. Actually, let, let's do that now. So we, we signed up for the custom share version, mm -hmm. which allows you to pick from a list of ingredients. You have a number of credits, and we pick from a list of different options. Uh, to fill up our credits, and then we go pick it up from a location. Uh, what was kind of the what was the impetus to trying out a custom share versus the you know the standard share that lets you pack in bulk and yep. be more efficient? 
Right. So for years, that has been kind of a core part of our business is gathering um, food from farms, planning with those farms. So, you know, committing to, you know, if this September you grow these Adirondack blue potatoes, we'll buy 80% of the crop and we'll put it in the share. So that commitment allows us to really plan ahead, um, pack shares, like you said, in bulk. So we're just, you know, packing hundreds of the same boxes um, and everyone gets a, a, a nice equal share of that what is available fresh um, and best that that week um, but the downside is for some folks they, it might not work with their schedule or there might be a few foods that they don't like or you know kids at home or whatever it is so for years we've we've always kind of gotten the feedback of this sounds great I want to I, I want to eat the food I want to support the farms but I've got picky kids, or I'd like to be able to choose, or I actually hate radishes. So whatever that is, you know, we've always had of, you know, yes, we know that sounds good, but we just can't make it work. Um, but at this point, with us doing both the wholesale and the Good Food Collective project, we feel like we've grown and matured, and sort of um, are able now to take on the challenge of custom packing each box for particular people, handle the the greater inventory and logistic challenges of offering 30 different potential things to pack into a box on a given week. Um, and we decided to, to take a chance and really give people what they were been asking for um, and have definitely uh, found a number of people really excited about that opportunity. Well, and also, I mean, and I can say from uh, my perspective, um, it did allow me to kind of focus on one thing at a time, which, you know, it's, and I think that's part of the challenge of getting boxes in general is, knowing how to focus your efforts for the week when it comes to food prep. And at least for, from my perspective, if things are busy, which like for me, they are right now, it does give me that flexibility to say, Oh, you know, this week, I don't know if I'm going to have a ton of time to prep. I'm going to get some pantry ingredients. Mm -hmm. And something that, you and I talked about is um, the nice part is I can choose if I want to cook a meal that week. Like I think a couple weeks ago, I chose veggie burgers and like beet sprouts and I'm going to make a good veggie burger with that. In other weeks, I'm busy and I stock up on pantry items and that works really nicely too. Yeah. Well, and it's like for me and now I see like I buy mushroom powder from the Asian market and that's something I've loved to cook with. And now I find, oh, well, Fruit of the Fungi now actually makes their own shiitake mushroom powder so I can substitute that ingredient in and use it and now I can have a, a local option for mushroom powder. I didn't know they made that and being able to see that on the list you know, doing that, doing uh, pickled scapes, mm -hmm. um, things like that. I can actually plan a bit ahead and fill my pantry with things that I may not have bought in a store because I would have, I might have passed over it or I might have missed it. Right, and that's what's fun about the custom shares. You see all, you know, all different kinds of orders pass through. Some people are getting something pretty similar to that standard share that week. You know, they're getting some of the main things that we did plan with our farmers but maybe they're they're not getting the kale or they're not getting the one thing they don't want or they're they're doubling up on something they know is going to be a hit um and then you have some people getting real creative with it and going for the the cheeses or the eggs or the mushrooms or the mm -hmm. dilly scapes or other pickled uh, fun goodies so definitely definitely been exciting to see where our members take it because we're always interested to see sort of their creativity of what they cook with the food and, and what they do with it after we're, we're done. So how long have you been doing the custom share now? It hasn't been that long, right? Probably, I think it's about four months now. Uh, okay. Actually, no, longer, longer than, than that. that. I yeah. think we launched in uh, August. Jeez, oh, time flies when you're doing custom shares. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, sure. <laughs> Benny, could you walk through just sort of like the mechanics of like what people experience, what do they do? 
Yeah, I mean, well, uh, for right on the mic there, Ben. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's been it's been really exciting to have this uh, more inventory available each week. Um, as you said, it, it's pretty cool to have a curated um, package of vegetables from local farmers available. But um, as Ryan's pointing out, everybody's different, so opening up uh, our our inventory to to slight changes. So um, if you want eggs one week or as you said if you're maybe going to be a little bit busier won't be cooking a lot of eggs um and you want more pantry items you, you can shift over um that's an exciting opportunity to people and and it, I, I, I i've been really uh enthusiastic about it um yeah, <laughs> yeah. so for for members what that looks like if someone's like unfamiliar of kind of what we're talking about shares custom shares you you go online um you sign up you get a, a regular subscription rather than um getting one of the shares on subscription. You're basically just getting credits in your account. Every week you get an email, the market's ready, go spend your credits. You get a new list of things that are available. So it's could be 20 or 30 different things that are seasonally available, both uh, mostly produce items, but as well some cheeses and, and other the pantry items that we mentioned before. And you build that box exactly how you want it. Um, and then our small team of, of people um, who's working at Headwater Food Hub. You know, we're packing all of the standard boxes with everything that we've planned with our farmers for that week. But then we also pack all the custom shares, slap a label on it, and we're delivering it right to your workplace or pickup spot. No, and that's that kind of brings me to uh, what I found to be a very interesting part of picking up a share was the variety of different locations that mm-hmm. you're picking up. So, for um, for Brandon, uh, Brandon picks up at uh, Three Heads, right? I do. It's and that's excuse so for me to get out and maybe see Ryan on a Thursday night and, uh, you know, have a beer. Yeah. Well, there's different nights, different places. So Three Heads is one of the bigger pickup locations, public pickup location. Lots of people show up there. Yep. The Harley School is the Wednesday nights. That's another big one. Um, that's one of the locations we've been at the longest. Um, we're at another brewery on Tuesday evenings as well in the village of Fairport. So that's Trip Hammer Beer Works. And those are the uh, the staffed distributions. So we're there with our team. You can show up, you know, hang out, talk recipes with us, ask us questions, pick up your food. Um, everything's packed in bins, so you bring your own bags um, and all reusable materials. Um, but then we've got a bunch of drop-offs. So we're, we're in and out, we drop the boxes, and then you pick up during a certain window. So you actually did one of the drop-offs, right? Yeah, so I pick up I pick up not far from where I work in Webster, mm-hmm. and I pick, up, I pick up at somebody's house, which for me was like, oh, this is, this is a bit of a shift in how I was expecting this to happen. But something when I actually walked in and talked to them, the kind of enthusiasm they had for 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 local produce and for um csa style pickups um is was infectious and getting to say hi to them every week has actually been a very nice part of the experience i wasn't expecting that to be like an actual part of this like i was yeah get get some good food bring it home but actually talking to them yeah it's been very enjoyable i actually really enjoy that as part of the process i I I embarrassed sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say it's a it's a one of the cool things we offer is like kind of leaning on different opportunities to kind of uh, get people their food. Um, even if it's not delivered directly to your door, which we do offer, um, we we will try to find the most efficient way for it to work for you. And whether that's somebody in your neighborhood 
or a place in your community, we're going to find that kind of uh, route in, um, in this kind of modern way. I think it's kind of fun when you can have a, something cutesy as walking into somebody's house as to, you know, drop off directly at your workplace. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I love those moments to her people to kind of collide and talk about food in a, in a place they wouldn't think about. And I've heard some great stories from like some of our workplace, you know, drop-offs there pe- might be people from different parts of the building in these big companies that don't really talk to each other but they come every week to the break room and they pick up their boxes and some you know some offices even uh have started like veggie swaps so everyone opens up their box and if you don't like <laughs> something you got you can just change it for someone else yeah cool. so there's all these great little moments of around the the pickup and that whole experience kind of shifting what you're used to as far as when and how you get your food. Yeah, absolutely. I embarrassed myself my first pickup. I didn't know what I was getting into. So I had to show up with three heads and uh, give my name. And the head water, the good food staffer goes, bag? And I go, yes, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't bring a bag. She goes, oh, no. Um, <laughs> where's your bag? <laughs> so I didn't have a bag. So I took the bucket out to my car placed all of my dirty root vegetables on my seat nice <laughs> and then went home that's perfect and then i learned a lesson and i bring bags now yeah it sounds yeah. about right nice. um i actually um the uh the host was nice enough to actually talk with me for a few minutes so i think what we're going to do is we're going to go to break and you're going to hear actually a few minutes where i talked to her about how she got involved with got involved with you know shares and uh, her experience with you know local food in general. So I think we'll do that uh, right before the break, and then we'll be back with more from Good Food Collective, Headwater Food Hub, and Brandon and I from Frankly. So we'll be right back. As we pivot over to this uh, small interview I did with Linda, who is where I pick up my uh, food from the Good Food Collective, uh, just be aware this does have a little bit of interference. It's not all the time, but... Just keep in mind, uh, sound quality is a little bit down from usual. All right, so I'm picking up my Good Food Collective share for the third time. Second time, really, since the wife picked it up the middle time I was in Vermont. But one of the interesting things about the experience is that pickups are in different locations. Uh, Brandon, for example, picks up his share at uh, Three Heads Brewing on Atlantic, which is a great location, very public. But... For some of the pickups, we actually pick it up at somebody's house, and I am there right now. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Linda, and I've been with the Good Food Collective since uh, 2010, I think. So 2010 yeah. was just about when they were getting really getting moving here in Rochester, right? It wasn't. It was pretty early in the process. Yeah, it was really early. I think they had started the year before, maybe, and um, I found out about them and started the. You know, when they really launched the thing um, to the to the public, and so I think I was one of the first. That was one of the first years that um, they had been doing that. Yeah. So, when we were chatting before, it sounded like you had a lot of experience with CSAs though in your past. I did. I so saw in 1997, <laughs> I'm giving my age away, <laughs> um, I, uh, I started in my first CSA which uh, when I was living in Syracuse. Okay. And um, so we were members there for I think it was close to 10 years that we were members there in Syracuse and um, we were active in our, you know, in the CSA group there. And, uh, and then when we came here, we to Rochester. We joined another CSA, 
and then found out about the Good Food Collective, and then that's when we started in 2010. Yeah, so I mean, one, I've I've always enjoyed uh, working with working with the whole Good Food team, but what about it to you drew you into work? You know, spend more time with Good Food versus another CSA. Oh yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, so when we were in Syracuse, our group was, um, you know, very. Um, a lot of communication, a lot of interaction with other members and things. And then um, when we joined a CSA here, it was it was very nice and a great farm. But, the, you know, they, they brought the boxes and when we would go pick them up, there wasn't, there wasn't anybody there. You know, we would take our boxes and leave. And, and uh, I was missing the interaction. And so with Good Food Collective, you know, they do offer pickups where there's a great deal of interaction, like you mentioned, at Three Heads. That's a staffed distribution. People are there, so you go, you talk to them, you're looking at the food, and and uh, and I that was what I liked, and that really drew me into this in the first place. So yeah. And then you took the step to start actually having a distribution at your house. <laughs> well, yeah. So a few years ago, um, after I had been you know a member for a while, I was talking to one of the people when I went to pick up, and I said, hey, you know, I'm. I'm not actually, I wasn't working at the time and I was kind of looking for something to do. And I said, you know, if you ever need any help or anything, I'm available. And so she said, oh, you know, yeah, let's let's talk about that. And I ended up um, starting to do some work in member service. Well, I started out packing boxes and then I got into member services with the Good Food Collective. And then a couple of years later, had the thought, well, why don't I host a distribution at my house? Because, you know, I live here in Webster, and um, there was no distribution in Webster available for people on this side of the town. So I started one at my house. How has the experience been for you so far? You know, people showing up every week and picking up their stuff. It has to be kind of interesting at times, I'd imagine. It's actually great. I love it because, you know, I, I get to meet people, you know, I love food, right? I mean, what better thing to do than to meet a bunch of people who love food and talk about food, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's all great. So, um, yeah, I really do like it. Um, and I think that the members appreciate it, you know, because we, you know, we'll make, we might chat for a few minutes or maybe we won't. You know, it depends on what somebody, if they're in a hurry, they go. And if not, we chat. And, um, and so that's been good. I, I've enjoyed, you know, meeting people and being able to help people out in this way, too. So. It's a very interesting opportunity because a lot of people don't get the random interactions in their day. Even if you go into a store, you're not really talking to people. It's not a face-to-face interaction. It's kind of an interesting opportunity. Yeah, it really is. You know, a, a lot of what we do, you know, we're always so busy in life and, and rushing from one thing to the next and to actually, you know, come to somewhere where you're chat with somebody for even just a couple of minutes I, th- I think it's a nice thing i think it's it's good for for the members and it's certainly nice for me i yeah. enjoy it yeah that's great well thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with us and we'll be right back with more from um from this episode about the good food collective all right thanks so much this episode of the food about town podcast is brought to you by frankly that's p-h-r-a-n-k-l-y.com Frankly, is the best way to find where local goods are sold and where your favorite local restaurants are buying their ingredients from. 
We're trying to build transparency to the whole system of food and drink sourcing. So if you care about where your food is coming from and also where to buy your favorite products, go check out Frankly on our website. That's P-H-R-A-N-K-L-Y dot com. And make food transparency work for you. Turn them on. And we're back with our second half of our discussion with Good Food Collective. And we're uh, talking about coffee during the break for a few minutes. And this is a topic we cover pretty often on the podcast. But, um, you know, Good Food does uh, coffee shares. And that's through a couple local producers, right? Fuego and Joe Bean, right? Okay. Now, and as well as Joe Bean's sister brand, uh, Fabricator. Right. Which, uh, another great way to get access to local third wave coffee, specialty coffee, depending on the terminology you decide to use. And... Um, you know, if you are if you are a coffee nerd like uh, like I am, I don't know like Brandon is. Uh, Brandon takes it a step farther and actually gets a uh, coffee delivery from different roasters all around the country, right? Well, actually, so we we get Angel's Cup at home. Um, we get one bag a month, and we supplement that with a lot of our local coffees, like you know whatever Ugly Duck gets in sometimes, sometimes from Fuego, sometimes from Joe Bean. Um, and Angel's Cup, they offer a uh, kind of a starter. Um, tasting type package where you get four unbranded coffees and they want you to taste it, write notes about it and kind of compare with their other customers about who said what about what and see if it matches up with the, um, you know, the professional's view of what the coffee should taste like. Well, that's interesting because that's, I've always found coffee very challenging tasting. Me too. I know what I like and I don't, but I have trouble picking out a lot of the individual notes. Mm -hmm. So that exists. We don't do that part of it though. They have another option where whichever... Um, coffee everyone liked the most that that month, they just send you a full bag of that. Okay, that's um, not too bad. One month we got a full bag of Joe Bean, so oh. Joe Bean's in that rotation too. Very well, that's cool. great. Do you find yourself learning anything about tasting notes when you when you're doing that with the mystery? So I, I haven't done the mystery uh. box. Um, I would like to do it at some point, but <laughs> for now it's it's easier for us just to get the one bag of whatever anyone liked the most, and it's always been really. It would actually be a fun experiment that we could do. Um, we should do it. That would actually yeah. be really fun. Just brew it all here or do it cupping style. And do a podcast of it. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I, I would really enjoy that because the times when I've been able to really focus in on the flavors is, I think the there was a, it's the times I actually take to really work on the flavors. It's not just like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm drinking coffee while I'm watching TV. I'm drinking coffee while I'm doing something else. It's when I actually sit down and I really focus on it. And I think it was the one time we had the, um, was it the the Geisha coffee at Joe Bean, where I think you were there and we were sitting mm-hmm. down and all we were doing was tasting. Yeah. And I don't often do that with coffee. I'll do that with all sorts of other stuff, wine, beer. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really happen with coffee and it's probably something you should do more often. It yeah. was a really good opportunity to sit down and focus on it for a little bit. I think if that's a great way that Joe Bean can really share some of their expertise. I got to do a, a cupping with Ben a few weeks ago and just that was a great experience to really understand the the depth of knowledge they have um, and the lengths they go to ensure the quality of what they're getting. It was really interesting. Like you said, once you sit down and focus on it, you can really pick up some interesting, unique differences between you know mm-hmm. two cups of coffee that you might think of are even, even a similar roast. So for the non-coffee nerds, can you explain what a cupping is, Chris? So it is a different process than just brewing a cup of coffee. So if I'm I'm trying to remember all the steps, it's been actually a couple of years since I did a real cupping. Um, Ryan, correct me because you just actually just yeah. did it. So 
Um, they'll put grounds in the cup. It's a different grind than they'll necessarily use for like a pour over. Um, when they pour the hot water in, the grounds will float on the top and you let them sit for a certain amount of time. You may smell it at that point. And at some point you crack the surface of the, of the grounds that are on top and you're still only working on aroma. And then you'll actually, once you crack it and it goes for a certain amount of time, you'll get um, a little bit of, you know, you'll stir it around, if I remember correctly. And then you get a little bit of coffee in a spoon. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to quickly aerate it into your mouth, which is, it's a heck of a sound when it you is. hear it. It is. Oh my God. <laughs> if you cup with someone who is an expert, be, be prepared, because that sound is... I can't even do an impersonation. Of <laughs> no, it. it's like it's, a bull whip and a whistle at the same time. Yeah, so they're they're quickly bringing the coffee into their mouth, aerating it, and bringing all the aromas in. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> like that. Similar to wine tasting, or more so? No, no much it's more, more aggressive. Of like it's got a whistle and a snap in the back. It's it's pretty epic. So it's much more aggressive. It's kind of like a extreme like slurping. Like you do with soup. You should definitely do it on the podcast so everyone can hear it. <laughs> yeah, and if we, I think if we. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll get Ben or somebody else involved where yeah. we can actually cup it mm -hmm. properly. But it's it's a very different experience, and it's not meant to get you the best cup of coffee. It's meant to highlight the aromatics, uh, the natural oils, everything else, so you can get the understand the coffee better. It's not necessarily the best cup of coffee you can drink. It certainly isn't. Mm -hmm. Right, and you're just you know you're taking little spoonfuls, and they might cup five, ten different types of coffee at once and he said he and when he's like down in nicaragua or colombia tasting they might cup 10 and then you know take a little break and then cup 10 and do do 60 different coffees oh. and you're you know writing down little flavor notes of each one as you go yeah it's a very it's a very different process like i said i've only done it a couple times but every time i have done it it's it definitely changed my perspective on tasting and it definitely lets you focus a little bit differently. Um, or if it's even just you're taking time, it helps. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> even if it's just a regular brewed cup. Um, and regular is a relative term when it comes to coffee because regular now for for me is, you know, I'm brewing on a Kalita Wave poured and mm -hmm. ground right beforehand and all that stuff. But, yeah, we could always talk about coffee for an entire show right. because I can't help well, myself. Well, switching back to the custom share yeah. on this... So how do you guys usually decide what to put in the custom share? I know it's a lot of the stuff that's usually in your standard or small share to begin with, yep. but there's always some extra stuff too, right? Yeah, so that's a, a weekly process. Um, you know, we're putting everything, listing the five to 10 different vegetable items that are going to be in the standard share anyway that week, the three to five different fruit items that are going to be in the fruit share that week. Um, and then we're also listing other exciting things, whether it's a new jam we just got in or a you know, type of ravioli from bozzas or um, mushrooms. There's a few staples that we try to keep in every single week. Um, and then we'll, uh, you know, usually try to have at least one or two cheeses available in the custom share market as well. Um, and just, you know, balance it out, uh, respond to people's feedback. So if we got an email uh, and, you know, Linda might be the one to respond to it if you if you email us um, with, you know, this is what I'd love to see. We're, we're open to it. This is a kind of an ongoing uh, process for us exploring what what people want in a custom box um, but really we're, our thought is that it's a great highlight of where you are in the season right now 
but with a little opportunity to make some choices on your own. That's cool. Yeah, just as a like a view into our operations, we've always been really good at getting a set of vegetables that we've decided upon beforehand um, into the into the boxes and doing it quick quickly. Um, adding custom shares has been a whole new process and exciting, but a little bit difficult in some ways. Adding eggs or adding uh, a frozen item that might not have usually been there is different for us, and so. Um, we've we've experimented with different things each week and, and kind of slowly added a, a more diverse catalog. And I think it's been really exciting to see our, our operations grow in, in their kind of uh, adaptability or flexibility. But um, also, as weeks go on, we've added more and more items and kind of continue to each week um, be better and, and add uh, a cooler items to our catalog. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then it's it's a very it's a very different process, and it's one like I'm excited to keep on using it because we've yep. I know it's been good for us, um, us as my household, and I think it's been good for you too, Brandon. We've we've got to try yeah, a bunch really of different things. Um, so if you're interested in you know CSA style shares, you can go to the standard share at Good Food Collective, multiple multiple pickups all over the city. Uh, but if you want to try something different. Go try the custom share, and you can do it for any time period you want to. Find out if you like it, and maybe it works better for you. It definitely allows you a different kind of flexibility, so it's uh, worth checking out and something, yeah, worth exploring. Um, what I'd like to do, though, is talk about where Headwater is in general, mm -hmm. because last time I had somebody from Headwater on the podcast, I think was was Phil a while back, and it was like two or three years ago. So I want to talk about where Headwater is today. I know it's expanded mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a project. Uh, been out to the facility a couple times. You know, the facility is expanding. You're getting into different areas, uh, talked about meat. But talk about where Headwater is generally right now and where it's going in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So always, always a lot of moving parts at Headwater. Um, in the past, maybe, maybe around the, the time you had Phil on, we might have been talking about um, a lettuce washing project that we are excitedly launching, um, a meat partnership with Kevin McCann, um, and a, a few other different things in the works. Um, we decided not to go down the route of, of processing with the, with the lettuce project. We've partnered with a, a good number of local processors that are able to chop both fresh and frozen vegetables um, and are really you know working out our niche as um, the uh, the supplier the the people who can really connect the dots best um, for restaurants for schools for institutions for businesses for individuals um, and and a whole range of, of people um, to get connected with these local farms so I would say headwater you know is is growing we're focusing definitely a lot more um, as Benny said really dialing in a lot of the the logistics and the operations of our business, you know, after 10 years doing this, we have a lot of good learned lessons. 10 years now. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we've, we've taken a lot of different forms over 10 years and uh, many of the people on the team have, have been, you know, varying lengths. I've been there for three years. Um, but we've, we've really learned a lot, both from our own experience as well as learning from other food hubs. I got to go to the um, National Food Hub Conference last spring. Um, in Albuquerque, talk to food hubs of all different shapes and sizes from around the country who are working in a similar way to us to connect networks of 20, 50, 100 farms 
um, to the people in their area. And some of them have a really strong institutional focus and they're just trying to do farm to school, which is a really big uh, part of our business and our focus these days. Um, some of them are just focusing on the restaurant. We sort of see uh, the, the mix of direct to consumer with the Good Food Collective, uh, the restaurant, um, and sort of local food um, business, and then the institution as being our kind of three pillars. Um, and well, so, the, ins- the institution is a great opportunity to make an impact um, in kids' lives all the way up to colleges, and allowing people to have better access to those foods at you know at a direct in a very direct way that they might not get as a as a family but you can offer it at a you know larger level to a lot of different people that exposure is kind of huge absolutely and that scale is huge too um and, and can really really do wonders for uh the local economy um and local farmers here in upstate new york so some of the uh school bids that we're working on right now um have some great implications for you know Farmers growing organic carrots in upstate New York. Farmers growing organic beets in upstate New York. Like these are great things to be um, investing in, um, and we're really excited about that. So the 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 um, farm to school, I would definitely say, is an area that we're growing and and interested in in continuing to grow. Um, that's been a, a growing part of our business over the last two years. The uh, legislation that passed um, last year that is um, lining up. K through 12 schools, public schools with um, 25 cents back on dollars that they spend on local food. Um, is, that's, that's a great incentive. Is a absolute, yeah, really fantastic incentive. Uh, really, we're seeing schools starting to change what they are doing in response to that. Um, and I think it's going to have really great impacts on local food, local farms. That, um, that's the kind of stuff I like to see, though, from a when we talk about you know government intervention into our food system that that's a that's a benefit that's something that's actually benefiting farmers in a very direct way farmers that are producing food in a sustainable way not only for the farm itself but for the people eating it like that's that's a good thing that gives us different access to these kind of things that it feels like something we should be doing more of and you guys recently merged with Crooked Carrot? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was another exciting thing. So that happened mid-summer last year. Um, so for for folks, um, Crooked Carrot is an Ithaca-based business started by Silas Conroy, who is now part of the Headwater team. We're excited to welcome him on board. Sounds like a farmer, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's Silas had, had some yeah. experience farming. He he actually worked with a couple of the farms that we we work with, Stick and Stone, um, and remembrance in, in the Trumansburg, Ithaca area, um, you know, a, a really uh, great food systems thinker, interesting engineering background, uh, really passionate about local foods, started this company, Crooked Carrot, with the idea of, you know, how do you save the harvest? How do you uh, preserve things that are otherwise going to end up composted or left in the fields? Those crooked carrots, those um, cabbages, you may have to peel a few leaves off the outer layer. Um, those great, great foods that, that need a second life. So he started uh, naturally fermenting organic um, vegetables grown within 30 miles of Ithaca. That was sort of the, the original premise of the Crooked Carrot and started selling kimchi and sauerkrauts um, and all sorts, salsas and all sorts of other great value-added products um, and has grown that business significantly, but um, sort of felt limited, I think, in what he could do um, with that operation, and and by merging with Headwater, we're able to 
you know, increase the buying power, work with more farms, make a bigger impact, and get crooked carrots, awesome kimchis, and, and other products to restaurants and to people all around upstate New York. Yeah, Silas, I mean, and is he's got an awesome kind of wholehearted farmer approach. Um, he's he's super excited to represent their their needs and advocate advocate for them in 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 so many capacities. But for our company specifically, he's brought a kind of um, amazing uh, analytic approach and just completed a MicroMasters program through MIT. Um, and so he's, I mean, yeah, and he's super smart, but th- that kind of approach to this business, which is usually surrounded by a kind of um, very, uh, a, a more liberal-minded, crunchy, hippie I was going to say, it's of, a crunchy attitude. That's yeah. that's what a lot of people, when people think about CSAs, they think about the crunchy attitude and not necessarily as a business and trying to expose as many people as possible to it. And I think, I mean, I think we've got a great staff of people that would all take any, a little bit of offense to being like categorized <laughs> as called crunchy, crunchy hippies or in any, not that we, I'm a little crunchy myself maybe, but I, I'm <laughs> super, you know, excited to get down to business too. But Silas has kind of brought this, this new wave technological edge to us and gotten us down with some uh, he's he's super good at coding and and has been brought some kind of uh apps that he's designed himself through google script to our company to start making some decisions based on you know data a- analysis rather than just anecdotal um decisions and that's been huge for us moving forward not that we aren't smart and making good decisions but using some of the edges and other fields in this food based field that, that has usually been you know a little bit softer on certain, uh, you know, analysis edges. Well, I think that's also a big thing when we're talking about, you know, in the end, you know, Headwater is a business. Headwater Food Hub's a business. Good Mm -hmm. Food Collective is a part of that business. But when you're talking about added value, when you're talking about items like kimchi, like sauerkraut, uh, like salsas, those are added value not only from a waste perspective, but it allows you to have different exposure. So you can, you know, if you're adding value on those items can allow you to distribute other items that mm-hmm. may cost you labor to do. It gives you an opportunity to have different exposures to people because you're making a product. You're not just grabbing and selling it out. You're actually producing something that's new and different. And it gives different, like I said, different exposure to those items. Right. And I think those the added value, really, there's so many layers of value to that because there's also the value on the farm side, whereas we can say... You know, if you grow this much organic Napa cabbage, we'll buy it all. And we'll put some in boxes. You know, we'll sort out the good, the great-looking smaller heads to put in boxes. Bigger heads uh, we might sell to chefs. And then the sorted-out heads, we'll peel off those outer leaves and we'll process it. And that's a, a great way to be able to ensure the farmer, um, you know, s- something stable, something known, um, and also to, you know, make a good deal that works for everybody and, and find outlets for everything. Well, yeah, and I think waste is one of those things that, you know, we want to minimize as much as possible. And I'm sure you guys are trying that. That's a big part of that effort. Mm-hmm. As a distributor with working directly with farmers, we've got a, a great line of sight as to kind of where a lot of the waste is going to be. And, and working with a processor, um, Food Link's been actually a really cool partnership working with us to kind of get some of this kimchi made. So um, kind of a gr- good partnerships with processors as, as, as a distributor. Um, it's a really cool, unique um, uh, style in which we've been able to add value to this field. Um, 
we're talking to farmers each day about what they've got that's good, but we also know what they've got that they might not be able to sell for the value that they, you know, have have been expecting. So, you know, being being ready to go with a processor has been pretty cool um, and, and a whole new ed- edge to this uh, distribution game for us. Nice. Um, well, and able, an edge that we've been able to promote farmers with specifically. For sure. I've seen that big push in the ugly food industry too. There are some, you know, um, like subscription services even. I forget the name. But they send you a box of ugly food. It's food that supermarkets didn't want. Um, that's still delicious and still good. Yeah, I think there. Yeah, I think that's a great sort of patch-on w- way to address the the problem. I think that there we need a, a lot of those, and we need to find outlets for all those. Um, but a big part of it is just like coming back to that. You know, we were talking about earlier with the the orange skins, really addressing the perception from the beginning, um, because you know. Well, I want the ugly food. I want the farmer to be paid top dollar for that as well. You know, I want all of that to be able to not have him sell that at a, at a, at a, you know, below cost just to get rid of it kind of way. Um, and, and thinking about how can you right from the source, take care of all of the different grades, the A's, B's and C's, um, so that the farmer can get the most out of their crop. Um, and and people can enjoy it as well. Because at the end of the day, it's all just as delicious. Exactly. Well, and I think that's also part of sustainability is a farmer needs to be able to make a living mm-hmm. so farmers can keep on producing the food that we eat and not just from a monoculture basis is that we're actually producing these, we're producing these items and they can do it sustainably. They can, you know, they can pay for the kids to go to school. They can live a decent life. That's an important part of this process as well, that everybody needs to be paid appropriately. Right, exactly. And you talked about, you know, the real the, the, the realness of Headwater as a business. You know, we work with over 140 farmers that are all small businesses wow. on their own. Um, so, you know, each and every single one of their, their businesses looking, you know, at what they're doing throughout the year and trying to make sure all of that is making sense. And at the end of the day, they've got something saved to reinvest or, or, or do whatever they're wanting to do. So... You know, that real network and understanding that everyone's got to kind of take care of their business. Um, but also, if we're looking out for each other, we can really build a collaborative network um, that through the, the, the collaboration can can really compete with the scale. You know, people talk about the economies of scale of a company that owns top to bottom a supply chain that's just enormous. Um, we think that, you know, a network approach could really compete with that. Well, it's very cool, and I think that's it's an interesting point that we're. I think we're gonna we're gonna ramp up for today, but I'm sure the next time we talk about this, the next time we have you over, yeah, you'll have a different thought on this because it's this is an evolving target all the time, all these different ways. This is a this is a startup business. Even ten years in, you guys are moving quick. You're changing things all the time. Absolutely, yeah. Every couple months, we're changing things. I. I like to just remind myself that at at the end of the day, as long as farmers are growing good food, we're paying farmers a fair amount, and people are getting to eat good food and are excited about it. That's all it's about. Yeah, really. that's cool. So, um, I think what what I'd like to leave everybody with is, if you haven't already signed up for a CSA or want to work with the Good Food Collective, check out their website. Is it a uh, Good Food? The Good Food Collective Perfect. So go to thegoodfoodcollective.com. You can sign up for uh, standard shares. You can sign up for meat shares, mushroom shares, all these different things. Or 
you can try out what Brandon and I have been checking out, which is the custom share option where you can pick all of your own ingredients that go into the box every week. Pick up all over Rochester, different days of the week, different times. There's really options available for everybody, as far as I can tell, all over the greater Rochester area. And then also try and support places that uh, buy local food. You can find out all the places that Headwaters involved with on Frankly, P-H-R-A-N-K-L-Y.com. You can search for Headwater, or when you look at your favorite restaurants, you'll see the places that buy from Headwater with a label on there saying Headwater Food Hub. And it's a great opportunity to support restaurants that support our local food system. So um, basically, all I'm saying is get involved. And if you want to go good food, check them out. Uh, lots of good opportunities. And Ryan, thanks for coming over. Thanks for having us, Chris. And this is this is great. I'm glad we got to talk to some different people from Headwater, uh, Good Food Collective, and Brandon. I will see you on the Frankly. I don't know. I don't know what what do we call it. See you on the website. I don't know. The Frankly Flip. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. Yeah, exactly. So thanks everybody, and we will see you next time on the Food About Town podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Food About Town podcast with our good friends from Headwater Food Hub and the Good Food Collective and one of my partners in Frankly. It's P-H-R-A-N-K-L-Y.com. So thanks again for listening and appreciate everybody sticking around through my little hiatus over the last couple months. And we've got a lot of great episodes coming up, so please stay tuned. Share it out to your friends and let me know if there's anybody you would like interviewed and I'll see what I can do about that. So stay tuned for the dulcet tones of Donnie Clutterbuck and his shiny bald-headed buddies. <laughs> <laughs>